0: So much, Mike. Good morning, everybody. If I've never met you, my name is Luke, and it's a privilege to to share us, uh, share a message with us in our preaching series through 2 Corinthians. If I have met you, you can hear my voice is very different than it normally sounds. It's because I'm really quite poorly. I'm ill, and I'm my anyway in my head and in my throat and in my chest. However. Here's what we believe as a church. We believe that the power of the sermon is not in the preacher, it's in the it's in the message of the truth of the scriptures that we hold up every week. And so this week, we're really going to have to exercise our faith in that, eh? Hey? And so extend me grace, I, I ask please, um, I'm going to do my best, I've shortened my sermon. No one ever asked for a longer sermon, hey? Uh, and uh, and uh, it's going to sound a little bit weird and at times a bit squeaky, uh, like a teenage boy, but... Um, I, I, I know God's going to minister to us as he did in the first meeting. So let me first just start by saying thank you so much uh, to, to all the moms. I'm so grateful for all that you do in your own household, in the, in the, in the family of faith, in the church, as well as in the community as well. I want to say your, your, your contribution is often thankless, and it is always more important than you will ever know. And so we are deeply grateful for who you are and for what you do. Enjoy a brownie on us, as, uh, as Mike said earlier. Um, I want to le- let you know what's been happening in, in, in our, my life over the last kind of two weeks. I had the privilege of being in a conference in Athens. There were 50, 50 people around the world who were invited to this conference. To get a really unique kind of equipping by a guy named Dave Devonish, who'd been a—he's in uh, his—I reckon early seventies—and for the last twenty-five years of his life had been working into Ukraine and Russia and Cairo and some of the most difficult places to work into as a as a kind of as a kind of apostle trying to plant churches and see churches strengthen and we got to sit there for four days and sit under teaching of what it looks like how it it was just amazing and that that was a great I also happened while I was there to turn 40 last week Friday I know some of you are thinking (laughs) 40 only (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah it was an extraordinary um, opportunity to be with some friends from all around the world and it was really good and then returned back on Sunday last week um, only to come back to a household full of sick children, and then uh, spoke at a men's uh, night away for uh, Inner City uh, Seapoint Congregation uh, on Friday night and Saturday. And so um, we were around the fire there, and uh, my throat just wasn't, it wasn't getting any better. I wanna also let you know that we took with us um, Bertis, um Bontes from our church, uh, Scott Smith as well, um, and, uh, and Darlington as well. And th- those guys were phenomenal. The contributions they made, the encouragement, the words that they brought, it was brilliant. So just well done, South Penn. Um, I I know some of you guys are in that meeting uh, who were there with us. I see you there, Darlington, just through the glass. Um, But you were brilliant, guys. Um, Okay, are we ready to jump in today? Okay, good. So the other day, my son Jack went to a birthday party. And it was a birthday party that was, uh, it was a virtual reality birthday party now i don't know if you know about virtual reality uh, it happens in a venue just across here and what you do is you put on a set of these glasses uh, and uh, you you put them on and they totally encompass your eyes and your ears and so absorb uh, um, what overwhelming all of your senses and you become overwhelmed with this virtual world in which you're in it, it looks so real and everything that is real outside you uh, is blocked out and so you just you, you get you can you can step into this this magnificent created world. I mean, it's so powerful. I've, I've put them on myself um, at a friend's house and you can sign up for a live concert to your favorite band who's playing on the other side of the world and sit there as if you're in the concert live. It's just it's amazing tech. I want you to imagine with me that we would have put that, that, that technology on our eyes today and then we're gonna twist it a little bit in a sci-fi way. Follow with me here. Imagine you could see the future. Imagine you could put on a pair of goggles and see the future. I watched a movie many years ago. I'm not going to tell you the title because I can't remember everything about the movie. I'm nervous of recommending movies from the pulpit because you never know what, what, what was there that you've forgotten. Um, and... Uh, and the story of the movie goes like this. There's a guy, he's a, his job, is he's a, he's a reverse engineering engineer. And so what they do, a company put a product in his hand, and uh, it's a product that no one else has been able to create, and no one knows how they created it, but it's been made by a company. They steal this product, they put it in front of him, and then he reverse engineers from the finished product how they would be able to make this product and improve it as well. Except there's a catch. Because it's all secretive, and no one's supposed to know that he's doing it, at the end of this project, they, they, they do something to his brain, and they wipe his memory. And, uh, and this particular project he's invited to work on by a close varsity friend um, is a three-year project. And so the dilemma is, it's got a big paycheck, but three years of my life, I'm going to will be lost to me. I'll never remember what happened. Well, to spoil the movie, he takes the job, and, uh, and he takes the job and he wakes up after three years. No memory of what's happened. And he goes to cash his check and he goes to get uh, his money and he gets there and he discovers to his surprise that he gave all the money away he told the company i don't want any money and now he's piecing together what is happening turns out as he uh, as he as he begins to dig a little bit all he has with him is this little bag of random bits and pieces worth nothing to anybody that he was told that he brought with him the day that he signed up and he discovers with this random bag of things that actually what he worked on was a machine that could see into the future and the task before him now is to take this random odd bit of things um, and to, to break this machine because no one should see the future and, 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 then, and then to be able to, to get himself out of this situation. And so these random bits of pieces all begin to find meaning as he uses them in the present to dismantle this machine that can see the future. Obviously, he also hid himself a little note with the winning lottery numbers, right? I mean, as we all would do, hey? Huh? Let me ask you this question. What would you do if you could see the future? What would you do now if you could, you could right now put on a pair of goggles and you could see the future around the corner? How would you live now in light of what's to come? We're going to see today exactly how the Apostle Paul did exactly that. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to two Corinthians chapter four verse thirteen to eighteen. If you're new to our church, as a church, we uh, for the most part our preaching we take a book of the Bible and we just work through it like that. And we're working through what is second uh, two Corinthians. It's the it's the second or the third letter actually that Paul wrote to the church. The second one we have in our Bibles. Paul wrote one Corinthians to a church that he had planted, and after planting this church, they went wayward. They went walkabout. Uh, And got involved in some dodgy things. And Paul wrote them the first letter to the Corinthians in order to bring about change. And and what happened is uh, the church didn't really respond so well. So he wrote them another letter, which is known as the severe letter or the letter of tears. This letter we have no record of. It's lost to history. But, but, but he, he seems to really go hard boldly at calling them back. And it seems that after this second letter that we don't have in our Bibles, it's lost to history, that some in the church responded with soft hearts and uh, and said yes, it's true, and they were repentant. But others in the church uh, became anti-Paul, and they began stirring up um, uh, division against him and undermining his work. And so, what we have then is Paul's second letter in our Bibles, written to the church in Corinth, and that's what we're busy working through here. And uh, and in this passage. One of the things that Paul has to address in this letter is the church asking Paul, look at you. You are so weak, you are so feeble. What gives you the right to be so bold in calling our number on our sin? You're so weak, why should we give you credibility? How can someone be so weak and yet be so bold and so strong? And so Paul writes them this letter now, and this passage in particular, to help them answer, uh, to answer the question, and help them understand why he is so bold in preaching the gospel and in calling them back home. And we read together from verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. I'll explain that in a second knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, we come before you and we ask that as we, we look at your word and the truth that it carries to us, that you would shape how we think and how we love and how we live. Thank you that you penned these words all those years ago and that they are still life-giving to speak truth to our lives today. I pray you'd speak to me, Lord. I pray you'd speak to each of us today. Amen. As I said in this passage, Paul is giving a defense for his boldness in the face of so much suffering and weakness and frailty in his life. And the big idea of this passage is this. If you were to sum it up in one phrase, Paul's boldness in the face of suffering comes from seeing the future in the resurrected Christ. Paul's boldness in the face of suffering comes from seeing his future in the resurrected Christ. Just wrap your brain around. Where does Paul's boldness come from? It comes in the face of hardship and suffering. It comes from seeing his future in the resurrected Christ. Christ. Let's break our passage up into two chunks, verse 13 to 15 and then 16 to 18. Verse 13 to 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak. I'll uh, let you know what's happening there. Paul is quoting from, I think, Psalm 116. It's the psalmist who's a righteous sufferer who's speaking out and he's suffering because he's what he's saying, but he knows that God will deliver him. And Paul's saying the same spirit that rested on that psalmist who spoke in faith rests upon me too. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. My first point today is a vision of the future shaping the present. A vision of the future, what's going to come there, shaping the present, how I live now. If we're going to understand what Paul is really saying here, we need to understand something that is um, it's, it's an, an inescapable truth to Paul's life. For Paul, preaching the gospel meant suffering. For Paul, preaching the gospel meant suffering. There was no preaching the gospel that did not equate to suffering. Remember, the world crucified Jesus for his message. So how could we expect a world that crucified Christ to respond in love and praise to a man who then preaches that same message? It simply doesn't. Paul's life was set aside to preach the gospel, but there was no preaching without suffering and hardship and persecution for Paul. It wasn't the only thing that his preaching meant. When Paul preached, his preaching meant, as we read in verse 15, It is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving. Paul, Paul, Paul knew that as I preached, I will suffer. I cannot preach without suffering, persecution, and hardship. If I preach, hardship will come to me. But not only hardship, many will come to faith. Others will come to faith. Uh, The grace will extend. More and more will come to faith in Christ. And so for Paul, when he preached, suffering was inescapable. But when he preached, people would come to faith. And for him, those who would come to faith through his preaching was more important than the suffering that he would go through. He knew, I mean, imagine, imagine, just imagine being Paul. This one thing he's set aside to do with his life is to preach the gospel. Right, right. That what one thing, preach the gospel. Okay, but every time he does that, he's gonna suffer and it's gonna be bring about pain and affliction and persecution for him. I mean, just got imagine what it's like. That's Paul's life. He is perpetually in pain or in prison. Because of his preaching of the gospel facing persecution. There is no preaching without suffering. Yet for him, greater than the suffering and the affliction that he goes through is this wonder and privilege of of, of many coming to faith through his preaching. So so he's going to preach, but he's going to suffer personally. But through his preaching, many will come to faith. Uh, For Paul, there's no such thing as a private gospel. Our faith is deeply personal. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100%. But our faith is never private. And for Paul, this gospel once received had to become transformed. It became transformative in his life and, and it transformed who he was. But it, but it had to be shared with other people. He, he couldn't receive the gospel and then not make it known. But But the problem was the more he made it known, the more he would face persecution. So here's the question to us today. What was it that drove Paul forward in the face of such suffering and such persecution? I mean, if you're... One thing you're doing with your life is preaching the gospel. And you know every time you do it, you're going to suffer. What is it that keeps him going? How How does he keep preaching in the face of all of the suffering? And verse 14 gives us the answer. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul's key, how do you get up and preach the gospel day after day, knowing that it's going to bring misery and pain to your life every time? It's this, a dynamite faith in his personal resurrection with Christ. A dynamite faith in his resurrection with Christ that was coming. Paul has a vision of the future. And this is what it looks like. Paul, this weak and feeble and suffering and sick body transformed in the, in the supernatural power of Christ. Paul's, uh, Christ's resurrection body, transforming Christ, uh, Paul's resurrection body. And look, he's not alone. It's not just a personal resurrection, just me and Jesus. He's surrounded by believers who, whom he knows and whom he loves and who have come to faith through his preaching. So Paul in his present has a vision of the future and it's not weak and feeble, physical uh, uh, battered Paul it's a body that has been transformed and renewed in Christ and he looks around in that moment in the future and there are countless believers who have come to faith through his preaching and through his suffering who have been raised to life alongside him before Christ you see Paul has got an identity that is rooted in the age to come and it, fuel, it fuels his conviction for how he lives in the present. It's what keeps him going. And effectively, in some ways, Paul's living a little bit like an immortal. It's like he's saying, guys, for me, it's more important that people come to faith than that I suffer. So, so there's nothing they can do to him anymore. What are they going to do? They're going to they're they're put him through pain. They're going to hurt him. They're going to put him in prison. They're going to face persecution. He says, it doesn't matter. This is more important for me. he's in a sense he's become in some ways he's 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 immortal to the power of the things that can get in his way because he says I found something that's more important than that's better and so these things here they lose traction in his life I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those fight scenes in a movie like the Lord of the Rings or the Pirates of the Caribbean but some poor soul ends up with a sword in a sword fight against a ghost have you ever seen that cartoon scene Right, and every time, every time the the the, the, the 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 like human physical person swings, it just goes right through the ghost. Right? He's like, what, what do I do? here? somehow his weapon hurts me, but but I can't hurt this guy. I can't get. He's just. It's just. He's immortal. But Paul's a little bit like that. He's saying they hurt me, they beat me, they they they, they, they persecute me, but it doesn't matter. Because, because there's something far greater that I'm living towards. And Paul, in a sense, has become like that. The threat of the world and what the world can do to him and what he can lose and what they can take away, it, it doesn't matter to him anymore because, because he's, he's swept up in this vision of what Christ is doing through his life ultimately and what Christ is doing in the lives of others through him. And so he almost becomes immune. It doesn't mean that he's a sadist and he, and, and he doesn't care that he's sore. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. These things are very real. He's just something greater to live, live for in the midst of his present life, Paul has somehow, in some way, become a bit of a ghost to the threat of death. Whatever temporary suffering he faces has been eclipsed by the eternal life that is coming through him to others. And so he's not afraid of losing his life in order to gain an eternity. From Paul's perspective, that the, the eternal gain that, that comes through others' lives as they come to faith is greater than his temporary suffering. It's such a beautiful vision and notice too that his vision of this resurrection in Christ is a corporate one it's not just Paul and Jesus, just me and Jesus. He looks around, and he says, we're going to all be there together. His vision is of a body uh, that is resurrected in Christ together, a corporate body. It's a, it's a corporate vision. And, and David Garland, who writes a phenomenal commentary on this book, he says, the Corinthian church, th- 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 this is how they used to think of themselves. They were prone, like us, to a very individualistic society. They saw themselves as, and I'm quoting him, individuals, economically and religiously self-sufficient and only minimally interdependent with other believers. That was the society that Paul was writing to. And so he gives them a a vision of the resurrection that Paul carried in his heart. And we were all part of it together. It was a corporate vision that he carried. Paul is trying to reformat their thinking toward a community orientation in a world that would drive you towards individualism. Paul says, lean into the center of community. So let's put this all together. I know I'm going quite swiftly, but I don't know how long I've got still on the throat. So (coughs) uh, we put this all together in a second. I promise you it's coming. I promise it's coming. Paul is compelled to preach, although he knows it will bring him great suffering. Because he's carried forward by a vision of the future. And in this future is him alongside all those who've come to faith through his preaching. And he is no longer physically weak and feeble because of the hardship. He has a resurrection body in the power of Christ. And it's that vision that, carries w- that, that is with him in the midst of his suffering. And he says, it's that vision that calls me to keep preaching boldly the message of Christ. But this presents the church in in Corinth with a problem. And the problem is this. You see, if Paul is going to continue to preach, then Paul is going to continue to suffer. And if Paul is going to continue to suffer, then Paul is going to become increasingly weak. He will become more frail and more sick and more poor. His life will look less and less desirable, especially in a culture that values strength and prosperity and wellness and the good life. You can imagine how Paul, his life through preaching, he suffers. Through suffering, he becomes weak. And in a culture that superficially values success and the good life, how Paul becomes less and less desirable and and, and people start to dismiss him and to, to, to discredit him and so how does how does he contend for his ongoing credibility in the life of the church who want to write him off when there's other super apostles who've come into Corinth and they drive in in their flashy cars and their fancy suits and their amazing eloquence and, and, and those in the church who've, who've received the severe letter and didn't like what he said go hang on look at these guys they're so successful surely we should follow them look how weak Paul is so how does Paul contend for his ongoing credibility in the church? And he writes them verse sixteen to verse eighteen, and he says this: Therefore we do not lose heart. Therefore we don't give. Therefore I don't give up. Therefore I don't lose courage. Therefore I know there's suffering coming, and I know I know there's opposition, but I, I don't give up. I do not lose heart. Why? Because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. What does this look like for us? What Paul is doing is Paul is pulling back the curtain so you can see behind the scenes into the reality or the spiritual reality of what's really going on in his life, follow me. It's as if Paul is saying, although my preaching now will bring me weakness now, it will also bring me strength that will last forever. You see, what I lose here waits for me there what I give up now waits for me there. What they take from me now will be given to me in a far better way there. Here I'm becoming weaker. It's clear. You can all see it. I'm becoming weaker. Every time I preach, I'm becoming weaker and weaker as they take me on. But simultaneously in Christ there, as much as I become weak here, I'm becoming strong in him, that there is a glory that through the persecution that comes to me here, that is accruing to me there in Christ. When, when, When the curtain of reality is pulled away and you can see into ultimately what's going on Paul's vision is that whatever is done to me here whatever price I pay here in the preaching of the gospel it's not lost it's not inconse- uh, inconsequential it's not that it doesn't matter it's that somehow that is swept up and in and, and becomes a um, part of a glorious future that awaits me there and Paul is saying I just wish you could see me there I just wish you could see me there. You see me now, you see me, I'm weak, I'm frail. But, but if you could see me there, then you'd know why I'm so bold. Because I can see me there. And that's why I boldly preach the gospel. And he makes a series of, of contrasts in this passage. He contrasts the outer self with the inner self, just your, your physical body. The outer self with your spiritual inner, your, your, your spirit in God. Not wasting away versus being renewed. Light versus beyond comparison, momentary versus eternal, affliction versus glory, and visible versus unseen, invisible. And it's as though Paul is saying, you see my weak and feeble outer body, but you're looking in the wrong place. You should see the real me, you should see the future me. You should see who I am in the resurrection of Christ because if you saw who I am in the resurrection of Christ, now you would understand my boldness. That's where I have courage to confront your sin. It's because I know who I am ultimately in Christ. If you could just see me there, if you could see the real me, you would have a better understanding of my boldness. Oscar Wilde, many, many years ago, wrote a a novel called uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray. In the movie, and in the novel, it was made a movie as well, I think. In, in the story, goes like this. A very vain Dorian Gray had a, commissioned a portrait of himself, a picture of himself to be painted. And uh, it's a glorious picture of himself that is painted. And he looks at this picture one day, and the realization comes to him. That from now on every day that picture will remain in beauty and splendor, but every day I will start to age and decay, and I will look worse and worse and that picture will remain in this glorious state. And he thinks to himself, "Oh Lord, would it not be that it was the other way around? That I would remain youthful and in beauty, and the picture would become more and more ugly and bizarre, etc, cetera, etc cetera, etc. And his wish is granted. And so what happens is he remains youthful and beautiful whilst every day the portrait of himself ages more and more. And it becomes all the darkness within him becomes part of this portrait as it ages and ages. And so much so that that he that eventually he locks it away and he hides it away from the world. Paul is saying. Paul is saying guys it's exactly the opposite for me they though outwardly I am, I'm, I'm as I preach I become weak I, 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 I suffer in stress and anxiety. I'm imprisoned. I'm persecuted. I become weak here. You can see the weakness. They're locked away in heaven where no one can, t- can touch it. It's the real me. And everything they do to me here uh, somehow is transformed in glory to something wonderful there. That Paul's belief is that locked away in heaven where no moth and rust can steal or destroy or break. is the real Paul. And that though he suffers now in this life and you look at him and he's weak and he's feeble and you want to dismiss him and go, why would we listen to you? He knows that there in heaven is the real Paul. His true character resurrected in Christ. Everything done to him here somehow is swept up and in the transforming power of Christ somehow makes him more like Jesus. And he himself becomes more glorious because of what he endures here. And Paul says, I just wish you could see that's who I really am. My true identity is locked away with Christ in heaven and nothing can take it away from me. And so don't look at me in my weakness and discredit me. Look at me in glory in Christ and trust what I say. It's this vision of the eternal future that for Paul is so real. It's so overwhelming that in the present suffering, and I don't want to make light of his suffering. There is something far greater that is a hope that colors how he lives every day of his life. And so we need to land here. And I think we've got to ask ourselves the question, what story are you living in? In a world that incessantly calls you to live for the here and now. Don't you don't know if you've got tomorrow. It's now or bust. Heck, go into debt before you can afford it so you can get it now. Just just it's all about the here and the now. Are we living for the temporary physical present or for the eternal future? Are we living to create glorious eternal futures in Christ? or are we living to preserve glorious, eternal presence? Because our world is non-stop thrumming you and thrumming me to make it all about now. To preserve yourself, Paul says I give it away, I pour it out for others to hold for yourself, Paul says, I just, if, I, if, if some will come to faith through myself, just do it. Have we been sucked into living for the here and now? Or are we living for the gospel so as to achieve a glory that far outweighs our temporary sacrifices and hardships in living for the gospel? I just sit for a minute. I don't want to move too quickly. What does it look like for you to have such a vivid? Because for Paul, it wasn't just, hey man, that'd be nice. They spoke about that thing in church on Sunday. For him, it was like, oh, it's with me. It's my hope as I, oh, they locked me up again. Oh, but I know. Oh the the jailer's coming oh but, but I know it, it was so with him it was so present cold prison cell on his own no one around him has everyone abandoned me I oh, know I know no this is greater what does it look like for you Have you've been thrummed into as a virtual reality is it is it the here and now or is it eternity with Christ We're going to move to the communion table. And I I want to give you a moment to do business with Jesus at the communion table. Can I ask that some in our our body, just some in the family, would you mind sharing and passing around uh, the elements of the bread and the grape juice? Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Steve. Come, Darlington. I can see you want to go there. Randall, you too. Come on, come on. Thanks. Thanks, Eden. Let's share amongst. You see, because the body of Christ and the blood of Christ are indicative of how Christ's body was broken and weak. Jesus, who had everything, who lacked nothing, the the creator God of the universe, his body became weak and broken to the point of death why because our bodies who are weak and broken could be resurrected to life in Christ that is friends the great hope of this world for every one of us whether you, you in this life you and I, I had this strange experience while i was uh, overseas recently the biggest fanciest yacht i've ever seen in my entire life pulled up into the harbor where we were sitting there And all the bodyguards walked around one elderly lady. And I wondered who she was. I mean, had it not been for the bodyguards, I could have high-fived her. But they would have killed me. I then returned to discover, when my dad sent me the link to who had just visited Hydra, that it was Elon Musk's mother, May Musk, who, in all of her wealth, happened to walk right past me. it could be that you have all the wealth in the world. I mean, she was probably the richest person I've ever been near in my whole life. And, and she's got nothing in all of that wealth that can hold a candle to what Paul held in his heart every day of his life. On, on, the, on the other hand, you, you could have nothing as well. But, but then, actually, what Paul says, you have everything in Christ friends we have such a great hope in Jesus it's a hope that is greater than anything you could create for yourself and this morning we remind ourselves of that that Jesus's body became weak in order that we could receive life in him can we stand together I'd love to lead us in prayer Lord, would You forgive us when we, when, when our hope is just in the temporary present? Oh Lord, I know there's good in the temporary present. It's not, it's not wrong and it's not bad to desire th- good things in the temporary present. But when our hope and our great love, the great desires of our heart, the th- the deep motivation, who we are in our core is so. I, Our identity is so caught up in the temporary present. And the afterthought is the eternal future. We're wrong. As as Christ followers, we've we've not understood who we really are in Jesus. We've not appropriated fully what Christ, you came to do for us. If that's you, you want to just do business with Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I just got so caught up in the temporary present. I lost sight of what it is to have an identity secure in you forever. But I thank you, Jesus, I have that. I have a resurrection, eternal, immortal future in you because you became weak and because your body was broken. I have the hope of being whole. And so, Jesus, I thank you for new life. I thank you for the profound hope of life with you that nothing can take that away. I pray Holy Spirit you'd you'd cause that truth to be the anchor of my soul as it was for Paul. And that God that you would enable me to live in the here and now in light of that day. My time my talents, the, the ability that you've given me, the opportunities before me, even my treasure, even the wealth that you brought to me, Jesus. I want to I live it for you, for eternity. Would you put Paul's vision of the life that could come to others through my personal sacrifice at the heart of my heart, Lord? As it was for Christ, the life that would come to us through your personal sacrifice. Jesus, in a world that is trying to live their best lives now, you, you would make us into people who are willing to lay down our lives now in order to live for the age to come that many others would come to glory. Jesus. So Lord, as I eat of this bread and I drink of this grape juice, would you resurrect me? Would you cause my egocentric part of my life to wane and to dwindle and to die in weakness as you bring a servant-hearted, Christ-like life to grow up within me, Jesus, and nourish that life, that life in the gospel, I pray. Let's eat of this bread and let's drink of this grape juice. Jesus, you, you chose a meal to center your church around Jesus. Would you strengthen us? We see Paul's strength to hold the line, to live for eternity, to, to make his life count in a world that would cause us to kind of just just pass through or to live for ourselves. Christ, sustain us, strengthen us, convict us, we pray. Lead us to your truth, Jesus. We wanna be more like you in how we live and in how we love. But we do so in your power because you, Christ, just as we ate and we drank, Within us, you have become part of us. We are yours and and you are mine. And you are alive within me. And so Christ caused gospel life to grow up in my heart. That I would live and love differently in this world. I hand over to Mike in a second, but while we got our eyes closed, is there one specific thing? Don't don't tell me this is just you and Jesus. Is there one specific thing, one step, one thing that you, you feel out of this you, you need to do? I just ask ask the spirit, God, is there something? Is there a response that I can take in my week this week? Where well, you've called me to, to live differently in light of this message. If you'd give us a second, Mike, and then lead us and land us, please.